So over the last four weeks as a church, we've been in this series entitled, His Name Shall Be Called. And what we were doing is we were looking at that famous passage in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, that says, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, and everlasting father. And we were looking at each of the names and trying to figure out what they mean. And we looked at each of them individually over the last four weeks. If you missed those four weeks, it's okay. I'm going to catch you up at some point in the sermon, so don't worry. If you were at all four weeks, we're going to go back to the beginning and kind of see the whole story leading up to verse chapter 6. See, before we ever even break in to Isaiah chapter 9, we have Isaiah chapter 8, of course. And in Isaiah chapter 8, the writer sets the story like this. It's dark. It's gloomy. It's like this barn if we turned off all the lights. And it was dark for all of Israel. Not just physical darkness, emotional, spiritual darkness settling over the entire country. Now, there's something about the dark that terrifies at least most of us, me, certainly. When I was a child, I was horrified of the dark. And so in the middle of the night, I would wake up, obviously, in the dark, and I would look around my room to make sure that there was nothing in there that was going to hurt me, and I would sprint to the bathroom. And as soon as I got in the bathroom, I would turn the light on. And in the light, then, I felt safe, hopeful. And I wasn't afraid of a monster. I wasn't uh, afraid of the boogeyman. I was afraid of something to me at the time was much more terrifying. And the, the worst part was when I had to rip away the curtain over the bath uh, to make sure that this terrifying thing wasn't hiding in the bathtub, right? Again, it wasn't a boogeyman. At that point in my life at nine years old, it was, well, it was O.J. Simpson. <laughs> I just, I thought he was coming for me. My... Parents should not have let me watch that Bronco chase. I checked. OJ's out. He could be here tonight. And if you're here, OJ, I'm sorry. Let's be cool. It's not just his kids, though. A month ago or two months ago, this fall sometime, we were at Hocking Hills on a little vacation, and I went early, and I was running through what's called Old Man's Cave, and it was really dark. And as I'm running, as a 33-year-old man running through the dark, I thought a bear or a coyote or one of the bad vampires was going to pop out and eat me. I cut my run short because I was scared of the dark. And in the dark, our minds play tricks on us, don't they? Every sound is a conspiracy theory. Every whisper, every noise makes us wonder, what is that? And our mind starts to run these crazy scenarios. What doesn't scare us at all in the light can cripple us in the dark. And it's not just the physical darkness, because that's not what Israel was facing. There's a metaphor that's at play throughout this entire story. Maybe you can relate to it. It's not just physical darkness. It's the darkness of Life not going the way you thought it would. 2019 not being all that you thought it would at the end of 2018. It's the darkness of distress or despair, depression or anxiety. Or maybe not quite that deep of darkness, but it's still darkness of you don't know what happiness is. Or maybe you know what happiness is, but you don't know what purpose is. Or maybe you know what purpose is, but you don't know what happiness is. Or you don't feel it. Maybe you just feel nothing and it feels dark. 
Scripture talks about a whole other type of darkness, darkness of sin, uh, disobeying God and choosing our own path in life. And in Isaiah chapter 9, the writer starts with the darkness in mind. And in verse 1 of chapter 9, he just talks about where the darkness began in a land called Zebulun and Naphtali, which are physical places in Israel. And then it went to the land of the sea, and the darkness spread. And in verse 2 of Isaiah chapter 9, everything changes, as if it's possible for everything to change. For there to be a moment in life when something triggers, when, when we understand something new and everything after that point is different. For the writer of Isaiah chapter 9, he says it this way, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Notice it wasn't the people of darkness who took the action. They were still in their darkness. The story doesn't say, then they just became cave dwellers and loved the darkness. It doesn't say that they just learned how to deal with the darkness. It says that as they were in the darkness, light showed up, a great light. On them, light has shone. And so in their darkness, like your darkness, light can shine. So here's a nation in darkness. But a great light was to shine. Now, these words of Isaiah were written a long time ago from now, but even 800 years before the birth of Jesus. But these are a prediction of the baby who was to be born. And so 800 years before Jesus is born, the prophet writes these words. And then 800 years later, Jesus is born. Spoiler alert. He grows up 30 years later, and he begins telling people who he is. And one of the first things he says in Matthew chapter 4, while he's in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, is a great light is shining. He fulfills the prophecy written 800 years. And then he walks along the sea and he says, a light now has shone on these people. He was saying the light that was written about 800 years ago, I was that light. I was the light that would shine in the darkness, in your darkness. Now later, Jesus would continue on with the metaphor and he would explain what the light was. And there would be this term that would be used in replacement for the light. It's a term that we now know today. You've probably heard it, the gospel, which is just a fancy word that means good news. That good news would break in in the midst of bad. And Jesus would say, I am this gospel. I am this good news. Now, the good news of the gospel produces three things, at least as according to this prophecy. And I want to walk through those three things that the gospel is supposed to produce according to Isaiah chapter 9, because I want to ask, has that, these three things, have they been your experience with faith, with God, with Jesus, with organized religion? Because it's possible that you've tried Christianity that you've tried religion, you've tried faith, but if you haven't experienced in your understanding of God these three things, then maybe it wasn't the gospel that you were really trying. Maybe it was a fake. Maybe it was something different. And maybe you're missing the thing that could change everything. And so in verse three, 
He tells us the first thing. He says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. The first thing that the gospel or faith, Jesus, was to produce was joy. Joy. As in, it was so dark, and then light came on. How could I not be joyous? Joy, we know, is that type of feeling that you can't even fabricate. It's just like something happens, and all of a sudden, you, you feel it. Like you get done with the last exam before the semester, and you're like, ah! The lines finally don't blow it in the last 30 seconds, and you're like, wow! It's joy. It just surfaces. But maybe your experience with religion, with Christianity, with Jesus, has been the opposite of joy. It's been apathy, or it's been boring. Maybe you're missing the gospel. The gospel produces joy. As in, I can't believe the light shone in my darkness. Joy. That's the first thing it produces. The second thing it's supposed to produce is this. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. That reference to Midian there is a throwback to an earlier time in Israel when they were being abused by the Midianites. The Midianites were fighting them. They were coming in. They were plundering their land, stealing their goods. It was bad. And they felt oppressed because they were and Jesus, or I'm sorry, Isaiah is making a comparison. He's saying how you physically felt then is how people will later feel when you misunderstand the gospel. And so maybe when it comes to religion, the word you would use to associate with it is burdensome. It's like carrying a heavy burden. But what, G, what Isaiah shows us here in this verse is that the second thing that the gospel is supposed to produce is freedom not burden. Jesus would say it this way, my yoke is light and my burden is, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. That's what Jesus would say it. As in all of this stuff that we associate so often with religion or faith that makes you feel like you're carrying a weight around that is too heavy to carry. Let me tell you why you feel that way. Because it is. You and I were never meant to carry a weight of attempting to be perfect on our own. It's burdensome. And Isaiah says, no, the gospel is to produce freedom. Let me see if I can help explain this. So when I was growing up, I took chemistry class, at, like most high school juniors. And I, I was not good at chemistry, okay? Not my favorite class. Um, but I did have one thing going for me. I knew how to pick a good lab partner. Can I get an amen out there? <laughs> my lab partner today is like one of the best cancer doctors in town. That's when you know you won. And so the lab would begin, and at some point in time, my lab partner would say these words to me. Why don't you just watch, and I'll do the work? <laughs> I would say, that sounds like a very winnable plan. So I would actually memorize pi during chemistry class. So 3.14159265358979323846264338327950288419716 is 54 digits in pi. You can check that up. <laughs> Not right now. You're in church. Put your phone away. 
That's, that's what I would do during chemistry. We get to the end, and guess who got the A? Both of us. <laughs> Both of us. There's something about the gospel. When Jesus looks at us and says, why don't you just watch, and I'll do the work. And then he goes to the cross, and he does all of the work of righteousness for us. And guess who gets the righteousness? Both of us. The gospel produces freedom, not burden. The third thing the gospel produces. This next verse sounds like an Adele song. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle to molt and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. What's the third thing the gospel produces? Victory. Victory. And if you have known a faith that has made you feel defeated, a faith that only makes you think, I've lost, I haven't lived up, I could never live up, I'm a failure, I have no power to change. If you've only known a faith that has made you feel like you've lost, you haven't known the gospel. The gospel is about victory. It's about Jesus as a baby being born into the earth, living a perfect life, and dying a death that produces a victory for you and I. So sometimes we relate with religion, and it's apathy, it's burden, and it's defeat. But in the middle of the darkness, 800 years before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah told the children of Israel, joy, freedom, and victory is coming. And they probably said, but who? Who could possibly deliver this? And Isaiah says, well, I'm glad you asked. Because in verse 6, he writes these beautiful words. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Who is the us? He, of course, was speaking directly to the Israelites, the ancient Israelites, but that us there also includes every person in every nation, every tribe, and every tongue, and every era, and every generation, and every type. You. The us there involves all of humanity. No matter how much you've messed up, no matter what your life has looked like up until this point, for to you, a child was born. And the Israelites, listening into Isaiah's prophecy, must have begun to stand up or, or peek their ears and they go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. A child, a king, what would this king, what would he be like? Who could possibly deliver all of this? And then Isaiah continues, he goes, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, which is just a fancy way of saying he's going to create a new way of operating in the world. In Christianity, we call that the kingdom of God. So he's going to create a new system of living. And his name shall be called. Viagra is the term. And it's a term that means so much more than just, well, what will his name be? 
Like, should we name them this or should we name them that? About this time last year, Lindsay and I got a cat. <sighs> and we got him from the Humane Society, and he came pre-named, and his name was Denzel. And we decided, should we, or we discussed, should we change his name? Now, here's what we didn't do. We didn't sit around and say, but what is his mission in life going to be? What's his purpose in life going to be? I can tell you now, it's to um, scratch things, wake me up in the middle of the night, run out the front door whenever I open it, and throw up on things. <laughs> his name shall be Demon, right? <laughs> okay, a few weeks ago, Demon, Denzel, actually... He ran out the front door, and he was gone for 36 hours. And I came to my wife, and I said, my wife was the one playing the piano, by the way, so sweet and nice. And I said, Denzel's gone. And she said, he'll probably be okay out there. I was like, this is Perrysburg. There's, there's Pomeranians out there. Like... Then he came back, I opened up the door, let him in, like tears falling down. I was like, thanks for caring, dear. Uh, where was I? His name shall be called. It's a phrase that means, what's his mission? The, the term really could just, for us, we would understand it better if it's said, and his mission will be. Not just his name shall be called. This phrase is used throughout the scriptures always as a term of endearment and a term of purpose. Like it was used to describe the original father of Israel, a guy by the name of Abram, and he was called to act in faith and to form a new people. It was used for Moses, and he was called out of exile to lead the children of Israel to freedom. It was used on a young boy who was a child unlike any other named Samuel, and his name shall be called, and his name was his name because he, Samuel, was the reason or the, the deep desire of his mother's heart. And so all through the scriptures, this phrase is being used almost as a buildup to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And the prophet Isaiah pens the words, his name shall be called. And the Israelites are wondering, what will his mission be? And then he continues to write and he says, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And we hear this in English and we think, okay, that's a really long name. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. So Jesus is my good therapist. Mighty God, he's really strong. Everlasting Father, he's around for a long time. And don't we use Father to describe the other guy, not Jesus? Prince of Peace, okay, that one's cool. And we share the, the meme with the verse on it, or we buy the mug from Hobby Lobby. And we look at this words and, oh, we miss what the prophet was saying in that moment. He was saying there is darkness all around, but one will come who will bring joy and freedom and victory, and his mission will be wonderful counselor, Pele Yolets, which means the supernatural provider of power and direction for your life. 
One would come who has power to do anything. Oh, and Jesus would do things that would make people go, whoa, how did he do that? But not only would he do things that would make people go, wow, he was also counselor, which really a better word would almost be in our modern language, coach or advisor or leader or guide. Like he would give us direction for our lives, but he wasn't just someone who was distant from us. No, he became one of us. And the Bible says that he knows our weaknesses because he felt them too, because he was human. And so he was Pele Yolets. He's the supernatural provider of power and direction for your life. And not only is he that, both wonder maker and intimate relationship with us, he's also mighty God, El Gabor, the champion of champions. He's the champion who would deliver a victory that could never be taken. Every year we crown new champions, new league champions, new national champions, new whatever. And then you have to go back and defend it. When Jesus won his championship, it was once and for all, and he's always the victor. And his championship was a, was a victory over sin and death and the devil, which produces for us eternal life and new life and a powerful life. Mighty God, El Gabor. And he's also everlasting father, Aviad. Everlasting because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always the same. So you can trust him because he's reliable. He's never going to change. He inhabits eternity. He's father, not in like God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's father in like he's first. What is he first at? Well, the scripture tells us that we had a first father named Adam and he sinned. And because of that, we were all born into sin and that sin separated us from God, destined us to hell apart from him forever. But Jesus came as the new and better Adam, our new representative You ever have a moment when you're kind of in an awkward place, but you came with somebody else and they're kind of like, why are you here? And you're like, I'm with, I'm with him. And then it feels better. As you and I are walking through life, whenever we feel like we've sinned or we've messed up and now we don't know how to relate to God, all we have to do is say, no, I'm with Jesus. He's got me covered. And he saw Shalom, the Prince of Peace, the one who delivers peace to us. By satisfying the divine wrath of God, Jesus went to the cross. And on the cross, the wrath of God was poured out on him when it should have been poured out on us for our sin. Jesus made peace, reconciling us back to God. So the one whose name shall be called all of these things came, came in a manger on a oh holy night, grew up, fulfilled all of the mission of his four names. And then at the end, here's what it tells us of this kingdom. It says of the increase of his government. Hello. (laughs) Fall on your knees. I always wanted to do that. of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Of the increase of his government, let me explain these words. In this new way of living, people being added into the new way of living will happen forever. And for 2,800 years, these words have been true. 
And the story of a baby born in a manger is told to this day, and people by the billions have been added into this kingdom way of life. They've experienced the joy, the freedom, and the victory that Jesus came to bring. Have you? Have you? And maybe you're here this evening because someone invited you and it's Christmas, so you decided to come or you were curious about what church in a barn looks like. Here it is. Or you had that relationship with God and religion that I talked about earlier, boring, burdensome, and defeatist. But maybe what you've never really experienced is the gospel of Jesus. So I want to invite you tonight to step into the government, the way of life, the kingdom that will always increase and that will never end. Let me tell you how you don't get in. You don't get in by working really hard. You don't get in by doing everything perfectly. You don't get in because you're special. You don't get in uh, because you were born in America. You don't get in because you were born into parents who had faith. You don't get in uh, because you did something better than somebody else or your point total is better than it is worse. You get in one way, belief in Jesus. Belief in the one whose name shall be called. Christmas gave to us a great light in the midst of darkness, a great light that grew up and lived the law perfectly. You know why Jesus lived the law perfectly? So that when he lived the law perfectly and went to the cross because he had already satisfied the full nature of the law by his perfect life, when God's wrath fell upon him, he could then pay our debt. So here's the deal. If you've thought, I've sinned way too much for God, I'll get my life better before I turn to him. You can throw all that thinking out. Right now, tonight, everything can change. And into the darkness in your life, a great light can shine. And I want to invite you into that tonight. For those of you who have already done that, let me remind you of the last words of Isaiah 9 here in our section. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the host, the Lord of hosts, will do this. The type of life we live now, friends, who have stepped into this kingdom, matters immensely. And Christmas is the reminder to us that Jesus came not just to save us from some eternal damnation in hell, but to live his kingdom now. And so let this Christmas remind you that you are now a part of that kingdom, that government, and the peace of that kingdom is yours to spread and share. We're gonna pray. When we pray, I'm gonna ask everyone in the room to close their eyes. And I'm going to invite any of you tonight who know that God is now calling you.
The one whose name shall be called then calls us. I'm going to invite you into relationship, a joyous, free, victory relationship with God. Would you pray with me? So God, I pray for everyone who hears my voice right now, for anyone in here who has known religion differently than how we've explained it from your scriptures, that where they have known only burden, only boredom, only defeat as it relates to faith, that tonight they would know the joy and the freedom and the victory that you came to bring. And so if that's you tonight, quietly, actually silently, in your heart, pray this. Jesus, I believe in this story that you came as a child, that you lived a perfect life, and that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe it. I repent of my sin and wrongdoing. I want everything to change. I want the darkness lifted. And I want you to lead my life. Sometimes it almost seems too simple. Like you have to do something else. But remember, Jesus did the work for you. God, I pray for anyone who's prayed that prayer right now here in this place that they would know now the joy of salvation that their eternal destiny has changed that their life right here right now on earth can change as well and for the rest of us Help us now to walk out and to live in the joy and the freedom and the victory that the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace came to bring us. In Jesus' name we pray.